All right, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. And, and uh, so welcome to our podcast. Yes, today we're talking about Interstellar. <laughs> yes, um, which is an incredible movie, Christopher Nolan movie. Um, a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of Christopher Nolan. I think he's my favorite director. Um, and this is an incredible movie. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I guess we could start with just like how you feel about it. I mean, we could start with initial impressions. Yeah, sure. Uh, after only having seen this movie once a long time ago, and then now recently, I, I think it's a great ride, but I, I still have a lot of questions. I think that there's a lot of, I wouldn't say like, not like not plot holes, but just parts of the plot that I think I'm missing that I think I, I, I need to understand to fully, uh, you know, appreciate this film, but just on experience alone it's quite a ride oh yeah and yeah i think there are a lot of things that they leave kind of vague um but there's a lot of stuff i think is really clear cut um and yeah on this on this is probably the this is the third time i've seen this movie um and i don't know i really liked it in the past but this time wasn't quite as uh, impactful i guess maybe just because i knew it was going to happen um but there were still scenes that really got me so um yeah if you haven't seen this movie i highly recommend it but right now and from now on is spoilers ahead so i'm gonna start with the synopsis in case people haven't seen it in a while because it did come out a few years ago so just to remind you of what happens in the movie okay <clears throat> let me get my uh announcing voice ready ready oh boy earth is dying the only hope for the human race is to leave the planet for a new one cooper an ex-nasa pilot turned farmer lives with his father-in-law and two kids, Tom and Murph. When strange things start happening around the farm, Cooper investigates and discovers that despite the appearance of being decommissioned, NASA is still alive and plot- plotting to start a new colony of humans in a distant galaxy. They only need a pilot. Cooper agrees to go on the dangerous mission with three other people, including Dr. Brand, a biologist and physicist. However, this means he must leave his family behind. He vows to return to his daughter Murph, no matter how long it takes. Cooper and co. travel through a wormhole and arrive in a new galaxy. There they visit two planets, each with their own dangers. In the process, due to gravitational forces and relativity, Cooper and Brand age more than a century in Earth time. Finally, with little fuel and a broken ship, Cooper sacrifices himself by entering a black hole so that Brand can explore the last promising world and humanity's last hope. When Cooper enters the black hole, he finds himself in a 3D representation of 5D space-time. There, he realizes that creatures, perhaps humans from the distant future, have been guiding events in his life, and that he must complete the circle by becoming the anomalies that inspired his mission in the first place. He then passes on information about gravity at quantum states to his daughter in the past so that she can unlock the secrets of physics and propel humans to our intergalactic destiny. Cooper returns to his daughter, who is now far older than him, and fulfills a promise he made to her a century ago. She tells him that his place is in the stars, and to seek out Brand on her new planet. There you go. What do you think? Okay. I didn't, I didn't okay. uh, hit every point, but... No, I think that, that summarizes it pretty well. Alright, so um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. Yes. Uh, the very first thing you see is a documentary about the end of the world um told from people that lived through it it's almost like a ken burns documentary like people are being interviewed and things although you don't really you don't know what the context of that is until the end of the movie 
Right, right. And now, but all the people there are uh, are that are being interviewed are old, talking about uh, something that happened a while back. Right, that's basically all you can tell. Right. Which um, I liked. I liked the idea of how like life was different. They talked about having to put their you know their plates and their cups upside down on the table so the dust doesn't get in them. Yeah. I mean, that's like uh, it's like a nice touch that makes it seem, I guess, uh, real. Like people were just yeah, learning definitely. to live with this. It's about the that, yeah, the um, like the day to day life. You know, it's attention to detail. That's that's really nice. It makes sure. it feel real. Um, yeah. So it's not really clear what's happened to Earth. They never really explain it. Basically, there's giant dust storms that just kind of roll across the planet, and like, the, I guess like the soil has been totally drained of nutrients because plants aren't growing anymore. And there's a whole like emphasis on farming, but um. It's not working. Like we're still running out of food. And it's just corn. Yeah, and they kind of hint at like there was like the world was normal, like how we experience it now, and then like there was some huge catastrophe, and this is kind of the aftermath of that. So the Earth is in its death throes at the moment. Yeah. What What was the catastrophe? I don't know. It was like people were rioting and things. Like everything got kind of destroyed. Um, you know, like Yankee Stadium doesn't exist anymore. Things like that. Yeah, and didn't they, like, imply that there's no soldiers anymore? Yeah, well, he says that, like, I don't know, I guess there's no military? I don't, I don't know what that means. Like, I guess just, like, the government's all kind of collapsed or something? Like, it seems like there's not much structure at this point. But, well, there's, or at the very least, there's a different structure, right? Because it seemed yeah. like whoever was in charge was grooming his son to be a farmer and uh, and he was like a little bit pissed off about that's, that. That's true. They do talk about universities and things. So there is there is a different structure. Right? That's that's a better way to put it. But yeah, it was just uh, it was curious to me. Is it is I guess the world that we're trying to look at here is there's no more conflict between humans because they need to work together or they're all gonna die. Like it's right. like a uh, it's a survival thing now where it's things are so bleak it doesn't even make sense not to collaborate. They just have to work together now. Yeah, they have really no choice at this point. Because so. I mean, yeah, they said they didn't think they'd be able to fund. They nobody would agree with funding NASA. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, which is something I really want to get into later. Um, but for now, let's talk a little bit about Murphy's Law. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Cooper's daughter is named Murphy, and they named her after Murphy's Law, which is that famous, like, law in the universe um, where if anything bad can happen, it will happen. Kind of yeah, if, if anything can go wrong, it will? That's, or, that's uh, it. Yeah, that's, okay. that's, that's right. And, um, you know, they, they say, like, it's not a bad thing. It's like a uh, what can happen will happen, as if, you know, really anything is possible, kind of, which is kind of an interesting twist on that um you know log is usually pretty bleak in its you know recounting yeah definitely so, a more optimistic view on yes that very much so i think it kind of twists the meaning a little bit but um i don't know it's, it's interesting it's an interesting uh take and yeah so we already kind of talked about how universities aren't like functioning as much you know univer- like going to college isn't really a prospect for everyone um, really they want to focus people on farming uh but the one thing about that conversation between um cooper and uh the teachers that i want mm-hmm. to focus on is the lunar landings 
Okay, wait, before, yes, I do want to focus on that too, but I just loved the quote where he was like, he's guessing the guy's pants size. He's like, what are you, like a 32, 33 inseam? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, yeah. And he's like, so you're telling me it takes two numbers to measure your own ass, but only one to measure my son's future? Like, oh, man. (laughs) Being able to write that and get Matthew McConaughey to deliver that line, brilliant. That's brilliant. I yes. laughed. I it's, definitely um, laughed. Yeah, that was pretty funny. He, Cooper <laughs> is pretty witty throughout this whole thing. So um, he is. He honestly is. I, yeah. I like McConaughey's brilliant choice for this. Did he win oh, yeah, awards for this role? I know this movie was critically acclaimed and like well received. Um, I think you could say this is part of the. Um, oh, what's that term? Dang it! I just went in my head. Uh, the reconnaissance. That's what they call it. The um, reconnaissance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what's that? That is the um the re- uh, reinvigoration of Matthew McConaughey's career, because uh, he was like this dead zone where he you know this valley where he wasn't doing a lot of stuff and that and then he came back and it was super awesome. Was this when true he started de- doing the car commercials too, where he's yeah, like true rubbing detective, his f- and then this and uh, I think the movie Mud really kind of okay. solidified him as like a you know he's um, a legend. Um, he is a legend incredible actor so yeah yes. let's talk about the the um the lunar landings right so, right okay and the, the reason that there's the the teacher is there because initially this is just uh he's there to, for parent teacher conference right right and uh i think they were discussing like tom's test scores and saying yeah. that he's going to be he's going to make a great farmer and the teacher is there and she claims that she needs to talk about murph because murph got in a fist fight with several of her peers over whether or not the apollo missions were real or not <laughs> Was that, that what it was? Yes. She got in a <laughs> fist fight with several she of her peers. She didn't have any marks on her. She was fine. <laughs> Dude, several of her peers were willing to go, like, to throw hands <laughs> over well, something know, from is, history class. This is so interesting to me because it's like this kind of governmental control propaganda thing, right? Where, obviously, we went to the moon. There's all these evidence toward the moon landings and everything. In fact, like, uh, there's there's, like... It would be harder to fake the moon landings using 1970s technology than it would be to actually go to the moon. <laughs> like, it's it's a ridiculous conspiracy. Can you not look at the moon with a telescope and see shit we left there? I don't know. I saw that uh, uh, same question on Reddit a couple of days ago, but I don't – I didn't look at it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But, um, there's, but yeah, no. there's, there are mirrors on the moon that we can shoot lasers at, and the, the lasers will come back. But, like, you know, that's not going to convince anyone who doesn't – Who's gonna deny any kind of evidence, right? So right, well, right, and, I, and, and and like their story that they're saying is true that it was propaganda invented to bankrupt the Soviet Union, like yes, that, which was interesting, right? And it was still kind of a twist to saying like, oh, look how great America is, right? Like, right. we're still the best, even though we didn't actually do this thing. And um, yeah. So what I think is really interesting about this, um is the idea of escapism. Um, it's this, this concept that we should leave Earth. Um, the, the concept of, spa- of escapism comes up a lot in this book um, called, or this book series called In Remembrance of Earth by a Chinese guy named Sixin Liu. Um, he wrote this, this trilogy. The first one's called The Three Body Problems. The second one's called The Dark Forest. And the third one is called... Um, death's end um and they're incredible uh and detailed hard science fiction stories and if you like interstellar i would highly recommend these books they're incredible 
Um, and one of the things he talks about in the books is this concept of escapism, that there are people, okay, the, the, the premise of the book is that there's aliens and they're coming to Earth. Um, it's going to take them 400 years to get here and they're coming here to take Earth for themselves because their planet is dying. So one of the proposed strategies is to just leave and go somewhere else. But the, the UN or the UN equivalent in the books um, makes the decision that escapism is um, counterintuitive to our motives and that anyone who is preaching escapism or trying to get us to leave Earth um, is committing high treason against the human race and should be justly punished for that. So um, this is really interesting for a lot of reasons, um, but I think it's uh, especially... Um, interesting in the context of this movie because the idea about the idea of why escapism is bad is that you um some people are going to have to stay and some people are going to have to leave um and the to order to draw that line somewhere to make that decision um the people who have to stay or have, other people have decided have to stay have no reason to go along with this right, right. they're like you're abandoning us we should work on all of our you know, efforts to sabotage this plan. Sure. So escapism could never be a mainstream idea um, because some people are going to be left behind and those people have no incentive to help the people to leave. Okay. And that comes up later in this movie too. We talk about how um, our empathy doesn't extend past the people we know. You know, we have this this grand idea. You see this in movies all the time about like helping the greater good or you know humanity in general. But yeah. in in order to actually practice that principle is so much more difficult, especially when it comes to the cost of yourself or people that you love. Um, and so, uh, you, if you have to make that decision, um, you can't rely on humans individually to make that kind of decision because the incentive just isn't there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I. So, is there? Are you saying there's like a parallel there? Okay, so I, I'm interested in how that directly affects this movie because one of the things that I thought maybe was a little bit irrational, uh, or, or like a, a reaction I didn't at least agree with, is the way Murph felt when she found out her dad was leaving. Now, I understand that's a tense situation, especially like the moment she realizes he doesn't know when he's coming back. And it's not yeah. gonna be like a couple years. Like it's go it will be decades. And and the when while it's a cool concept that he's like, We might be the same age when I come back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's kinda of disturbing, honestly. No, it is. Yeah, it's like because first off, when I don't think that's ever even been a thought in her mind. It's like maybe I'll be the same age as my dad at the same time he is. Yes. But it's uh she she really reacts negatively towards the situation as opposed to like maybe tom or donald who are more like this is like the way it is and you know like goodbye right. they, they kind of have a more mature uh, they know what to they know how they should act i think is the answer to that okay but it, but is murph maybe the personification of what it's like to be the humans that are not part of the plan the ones I who think, are being left yes, behind especially since at the in, you know, at the climax of the movie, you find out that there really was no plan A. There was never a plan for to save the people on Earth. It was just to start a new colony somewhere else. Um, you know, save the species, not the people kind of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I think her reaction is totally genuine, um, well, would be genuine if this was real. And 
um, totally understandable and is totally validated later in the movie when it turns out that he did abandon her. So, I mean, not to his knowledge, but... Right, which is where I'm, like... <laughs> I Again, it's, like, how you should act in that situation. She was just being honest about her emotions, but I was like, right. oh, he's definitely, like, you just found out he's gonna be gone for at least decades, and this is the last thing that you want to, like, do is, like... Yeah, but like I don't it. know, like I, I think you'd be devastated in that sort of situation, especially since it's like one day he's there, next day he's gone. You know, like there's no time for preparation or anything like that. And yeah, that's I, true. I he definitely did inform her that he was gonna be gone for decades, and then walk out the door and leave yes. <laughs> for decades, more <laughs> yes. than decades. Yes, so, uh, tens yes. of decades. So yeah, but that's. I, 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 I like that, though, that there's kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe a greater meaning to her reaction like that because, uh, I mean, it was difficult to watch, but uh, yeah. maybe meaning beyond just a young girl's uh, you know, frustration with the situation. Right. I mean, it's I think it's something that's inherent in all of us, you know, and we we would like to think that we could be like Tom and Donald and be rational and everything, but it's it's just not something that we can really expect from ourselves. Um, yeah. You know, and, the the I, philosophical ideal of human of humans is that we are altruistic, but that's not how we really are. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves when we're talking about uh, being like, well, no, being, uh, you know, trying to be like Tom, because earlier in the movie, Tom almost drives him off a cliff when they're chasing the drone. And he only right. stops because McConaughey tells him to. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, which I also... Driving. Yeah, well, which, which I thought was interesting also because they fly a drone with a trackpad. And... Yes, that was kind of annoying, <laughs> but whatever. Which, it looks cool because he's like, yeah, there you go. Like, slide your finger across the trackpad. And, like, <laughs> similarly, the drone is, like, sliding across right, the sky. Right. But it's like, that's – how would that possibly <laughs> work? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he's got some great drone software. He clearly is know. a great pilot. He clearly is. <laughs> That's, that's that's demonstrated over and over again um yeah okay so let's talk a little bit um okay okay guys let's talk about a little bit about um before we get into mcconaughey leaving uh-huh. um he's on the porch talking to his father-in-law donald yep. and he says that like we it's like we've forgotten who we are um we used to be explorers and pioneers and now like we're just caretakers which isn't an exact quote but um uh-huh. which is really interesting um i think just from the standpoint of humanity you know like what is our goal is our goal to you know take care of the space we're in or is it to constantly expand outward um and this is kind of like this whole idea as humans as a like bacteria or humans as a virus you know, uh, which comes up you know, in other movies too, especially in the Matrix. That like that, you know, even though humans are by definition mammals, the way we act and the way we, we react with the world is almost like a bacteria, where we consume the thing that we're on, um, to and then move on somewhere else. You know, we're almost like a parasite. Yeah, and we're self-aware enough that we can kind of slow that or maybe stop it. But um, is it even possible to reverse or? I mean, I just said to stop it, but is it even possible to stop it? Oh, um, yeah. yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't know. And I think this is really interesting when you start looking into uh, psychology and biology, especially when you, you like learn that in your gut, there are more like foreign 
bacteria in your gut than you have cells in your body. So you're almost more like you're a collective is really the idea. And like your stomach has an, its own nervous system that affects your mood and your brain. So like even though you have this one inner voice, you're really kind of a collection of a lot of things that are all this kind of like a semblance of bacteria. So if you start thinking of humanity like that, it almost makes sense that we are, um, you know, we're this expansive, expansive species, not so much a caretaking species. So that's almost our destiny. It's something we should embrace and actively pursue then? I don't know if that's true. Maybe we should be focusing on the ideal, you know? We should be trying to do both. Um, but right, well, because that's the difference between humanity and a pile of bacteria in my stomach is that we're conscious and we right. decide the, these things, right? We're not just programmed to, not necessarily just programmed to survive, right? We also, uh, you know, make art, right? Trying and, to find uh, meaning through find, survival, right? Well, we also do, yeah, we find meaning through other things besides just strictly survival. Obviously, yeah. survival is required for anything else to happen, but yes. uh, as you know, as humans, like. <laughs> you can find meaning in spending time with your daughter instead of right. going away for a hundred years. Like it's uh so anyways, I guess that is where the conflict lies with like, are we programmed to continue to expand? Right. I think that, yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's impossible to ignore. I think it's something that's in our DNA. It's something that's part of us, but it doesn't mean that it has to define who we are. Okay. Um, Okay, I want to talk about TARS um, and the robots in this movie. I love I the robots in this love movie. love the robots in this movie. I think they're like one of the best things in this movie. Um, I, I got an issue of Wired magazine that came out um, pretty, like, around the same time as the movie. And they did a whole, like, the whole um, issue is just about Interstellar. And they talk a little bit about the, um, the robots. And they said that, um, they, I mean, they were are they are they are physical things. They cost like twenty thousand dollars to make or something. They don't they're not really robots, um, but they are hydraulic like controlled. And the guy who voices Wait, saying, cars, you're saying that the, like those things that are in the movie actually exist in real life. Yeah, the eighty percent of the shots with the robots re- required no CGI. What, dude? What? <laughs> Christopher Nolan, oh my gosh. like, does so much cool stuff with practical effects. Like the whole wormhole scene where they're going through the wormhole, yeah. a lot of that is practical. Like he has like, like light bulbs and stuff, and like LEDs and everything. And there's like, there's just stuff added in, but it's underneath. There's like a layer there. It's not. So this means that if you watch this movie ten years in the future, it's not going to age. Like this is going to look just as good now as it will, you know, wow. far into the future. Unlike other CGI based movies, you know. Things like Avatar, which like was a, very much of its time, but nowadays, even, even like a few years later, starts to kind of fall apart CGI-wise. But yeah, the guy who voices Tars, Bill Iron, um, actually recorded his uh, audio live. Like he was there behind Tars, controlling him, and they just like CGI'd out his face or his head because he was just a little bit taller than him. So it wasn't like he voiced over that. You know, he was there, interacting with the other actors. Wow. I would love to see how that was done. Uh, was to- the whole movie, I was convinced that Tars was just a CGI, uh, like, well done, but dang. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, besides the practical effects part of it, the there, I, I thought it was an interesting, unique take on, like, the future of robotics because they so clearly 
were uh, had, had some personality, yeah. humor settings, honesty yes. settings. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> and but they weren't people. They clearly weren't, and they didn't pretend that they were. Even though you, yes. d- there's definitely parts of the, of, of the movie where you're like, oh, the humanity, like a, this robot. <laughs> but it, it, at the end of the day, it really ju- was just a robot, which is a right. future for robots that I think is realistic. Yeah, I think so too. I, I think it's, it's like very based in reality there. And um, it is it is really interesting. Well, I, I especially that... like the, the part, how they can like kind of uh, separate into like different sections, you know? Like they have like four different legs, and then they, they, each of those legs also has little partitions that can come out, like little fingers and stuff, so they can operate things delicately. Yes, and, car- and they can carry people too. <clears throat> yeah, no, and uh, well, and also just uh, the AI in general. I, I think a lot of people have um, uh, fears of it, and that's its own movie, right? AI turning on like yeah. te- technology turning on people, but I think there's a very realistic future where uh, at least like what you really have to be afraid of is humans, not robots uh humans using robots could be scary but just like anything humans are probably going to be the root of the problem so i liked that this movie just stuck with having robots right. that, are, that are like they, they were super like, intelligent but they're obviously like honors they're just robots right they, yeah. they're just there they're not like they're, they're characters in the story they're not like a catalyst for something bad or anything so sure. yeah i i do like that a lot and i think it is pretty realistic and everything um, and it's it's really it was it was really interesting. I I love the robots. Um. So okay, let's talk a little bit about after Matthew McConaughey discovers that NASA is be- is alive still, right? And um, right, Michael and he Cohen. finds that because he pulled down the drone, which he just had the drone. No, it wasn't the drone machine. It was the it was the sand, the dust in Mercer. That's right. Right, which, okay, that was another question I had. If you lived yeah. in a world where dust storms are a regular occurrence, why would you ever open your window? It just seems <laughs> like you're asking for it, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. know. I, don't, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Obviously, it helped. It's, it's a good – well, okay, so, yeah, so let's piece it together. They pulled the drone out of the sky using the drone machine. Right, but he, that didn't – that doesn't have but, anything to do with anything. The well, only, that, that just clued them in that NASA is still doing stuff, right? No, because that wasn't like, NASA. That was an Indian drone. It was way off course. The reason that the the only the only thing the drone had to do with anything was that it got mess, messed up. Its compass got screwed up, and that was because of all the anomalies that were happening. Remember, their, oh their, yeah, yeah, their their harvesters were also getting messed up. You know, the yeah. compasses were all screwed up. And there was some sort of electromagnetic interference. Or gravity interference, obviously, was what came up. But all that stuff had to do with other things. The drone was just a drone. It didn't have anything to do with NASA. Okay, so they find the coordinates through the like the gravity. The uh, yeah, for, for the sand. And that was... Uh, what's his name in the future? Are we going to start breaking that future, down? Right. He, was sent, he was sending that message. So they so they could find NASA, right? Yes. And NASA ends up being a like a a drive away, right? And they the claim, drive, yeah. yeah, they well they they like claim that nobody accidentally finds that place. Yeah, but he, I mean, but he found it in the middle of nowhere. I guess okay, but he drove there. Like I don't know. I just like I mean, they're, I don't know. This is a collapsed world, right? Like we have so many roads that go places. You know, I mean, it's possible that roads would exist after the collapse of you know a society 
that people just don't use anymore. True, I mean, was, and also they lived driving. in like the middle of like the you know they were in the middle of farmland, so they could have been in Arizona or something. It could have been Area Fifty One, right? And it's just yeah. like a a random gate somewhere. It wasn't like you saw like the rocket outside or anything like that. You know, there was no indication. True, and he also I guess tires were in demand because they popped their spare and they were like. That's yeah. it, and uh, I yeah. guess you wouldn't be taking random drives to the middle of nowhere to find NASA. That's true. NASA. You don't want to just go out there. Right, because people stopped exploring as much. You know, It was all about staying in home and caring for what you have. It wasn't so much about exploring the outside world. No one cared about that. Sure. Um, yeah, so after Matthew McConaughey finds NASA, um, and they explain to him what, the, what their plan is to send another like ship into space to colonize one of the 12 worlds that they explored earlier um and they they tell him that this is the this is the mission you trained for and matthew mcconaughey says what without even knowing it and yeah they they chose him uh is what they say the the people from the future or these fifth dimensional beings chose matthew mcconaughey to perform this mission they they pulled him out of all the people on earth and said this one, this is the guy we need. We need this pilot to, to help us. So, yeah, because I remember they were like in that boardroom talking to everybody. The boardroom that conveniently opens up to like reveal that they are definitely NASA. Um, but there, he was talking to these people and he was trying to explain to them how he found them. Mm-hmm. And he told them it was these gravitational anomalies. So yeah. did they understand that when they when he said right. that they were like it's the fifth dimensional beings like yes that's because why. the, the okay. wormhole was also a gravitational anomaly which they had been using for they used that ten years ago um, to send the first the Lazarus missions okay so that makes sense they had, like somehow they got a message to them in the first place uh, and this you know time travel is really weird because everything like if you, when you start sending messages back in time all those messages could have come from the same exact place. Right, but you just get them over a long period of time. So right. you know, whatever. The point is that the NASA was clued in that gravitational anomalies were messages from some distant civilization in the future that was trying to get us to try to save us. Yeah. Um. And so you know, every time they hear the word gravity or gravitational anomaly, ears prick up. At least that's the okay. way I saw it. No, no, I definitely that makes sense now because what my initial impression was like. They're just going to have McConaughey come out of nowhere and be the pilot of their, like, basically the last shot at survival for humanity. But it makes a lot more sense now that I realize they knew what he was talking about when he was, like, describing the anomalies. Because that's Which is another clue, right? Because, like, obviously he's well-suited for this job. But the fact that he had this happen to him is, like, like another message. There's them saying, hey, this guy's important. Like, pay attention to him. Definitely. No, because before, when I was first watching it, I was like, now he has to explain to them? And they're like, how did you find us? And he's like, uh, yeah, like, basically, yeah, sand and ghosts, you know? Like, (laughs) there's no way they they would believe that. But now I realize that they would be the only people who would believe that. Right. Uh, So, okay. So, that that, that makes sense. Yes. Um... Okay, so, yeah, the, so, yeah. so he's there with Michael Caine because obviously why would they make this movie Michael without Caine. Michael Caine? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you ever notice that if you say my cocaine, like Michael Caine, it just sounds like my cocaine. My cocaine. <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, because uh, who the director for this movie... Uh, Christopher Nolan uh, loves Michael yeah, Caine. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. Why did Christopher Nolan ever make this movie without fucking Michael Caine? <laughs> 
Like, he obviously would include Michael Caine in this movie. My, yeah, Michael Caine was in The Prestige. Michael Caine was in all of the Batman movies. Yes. yes. Now, he, he probably was in this, when they wrote the screenplay for this movie, just had him written in as Michael Caine. And yeah. then they added his real name later. Like, they were just like, obviously, Michael Caine is going to be Michael Caine's in this movie. the old in this scientist in this movie. Because, right. <laughs> um, yeah, because he does not look good in this movie. I mean, he looks super old. So. <laughs> well, he does die of old age, so I guess That's like it peacefully too. What a what a nice. Somewhat, I mean, he's kind of you know, he reveals at the end that he's been lying to everyone he knows for his entire life. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if that's at peace or. What. I've been lying to everybody. Anyways, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> yeah, like, see ya. I'm Michael. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what happens. Like, Murph's like, what? And he's like, I got. to make sure my last words are of this stupid poem that I keep repeating to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But anyways, yeah, Michael Caine is explaining to uh, Cooper, uh, yeah. Matthew McConaughey, that basically Earth is fucked. So uh, mankind that, was born on Earth. We weren't meant to die here. Sure. But he, and he was, like, basically explaining to him how grim things are. And, yeah. at, like, because they're walking around this facility. And you, as Murph is, like, walking up towards them, he's like, oh, yeah, like, by the way, uh, your daughter's generation is going to be the last one to live on Earth. Yes. <laughs> and then they're like, hey, what's up, Murph? Hey. <laughs> yeah, but that's true because you see that. Um, he drops a bomb on him right there. Right. Well, I mean, he's trying to motivate him, right? Um, and, yeah, he sees, I mean, you see that later in the movie with uh, Tom's kid. Both, one of his kids dies and the other kid has like terrible asthma and stuff which oh, is yeah. kind of which is exactly what he said right that the last generation is going to be Murph's generation everyone else is just going to die pretty grim but I it mean it, obviously grim. the reason why they have to go through with these missions right and I mean it's I mean it's like the last possible moment at this point right like if we don't get off then we're we're done for and there's nothing we can do so really makes it a a um a dire situation. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. We already touched about this a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about Matthew McConaughey and Murph and when um, uh, Cooper is leaving his daughter um, for and saying goodbye for the first for the last time. Um, yeah, I think this is such a powerful moment. This is something that, like, this is part of the movie that will stick with me uh, basically for the rest of my life. Like, if I don't remember anything else about this movie, it's going to be it's gonna be this moment. Um, and I just think it's so it's such a powerful acting from both Matthew McConaughey and the the daughter who I I guess I can look up who she is, but Young um, Murph. Young Murph, Mackenzie <laughs> Foy. Um yeah, she's she's incredible. And I just like I mean, you want to sometimes take yourself out of the movie and you're just like remember that this isn't really Matthew McConaughey's daughter, right? Like, this is just some random girl that he met a few weeks ago, and now they're doing this scene together, right? And yeah. he's, like, leaning on her, and, you know, she's crying and everything. But, like, it's just so, I mean, it's so relatable and so powerful, um, and just this idea that, like, he has to go, right? Like, he, does, he, he wants to be there for her, and to do that, he has to leave and save humanity. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if I can make that choice. You'd like to think that you could, but to like just to leave your family behind, um, you know, and you may never see them again, especially when they're so young. Like, uh, I can't, I can't imagine making that kind of decision. I think that it would be even harder, or, or I guess it would be more relatable feeling if I even if I had kids. But I imagine right. it's a tough like choice. I think that these that's like a part of the movie I may identify more with once I've experienced fatherhood, right? Uh, because. Again, and I, I might sound a tiny bit heartless for like so, some of it does feel a little bit uh, melodramatic, 
True. Uh, but at the same time, that's just me being like a robot and not having kids and not, you know, and knowing that that emotion uh, where, you know, like leaving your kids is probably awful. Like, uh, yes. uh, it, no, obviously it's awful, but um, I think that yeah. it may be well, more I mean, powerful think about people from Merce's point of view too, right? I mean, this this guy, I mean, she's, they're, I mean, they're really close and everything and she's teaching her all about this stuff. It's, you know, space and everything like that. And computers and you know all the engineering stuff that he's learned um and now he's just gone you know so she has to find that father figure somewhere else it's just um i don't know it's it's tough and i mean she, i mean she never really gets over it i mean she does kind of near the end but like she spends you know the first 30 years of her life kind of just resenting him yeah which okay which blows me away because I felt like he did a good job of explaining, like, basically, I have to do this, and obviously, I wouldn't want to do this, and this is going to be just as hard as it is for me as it is for you, and she's like, nah, fuck that. He's just deserting me because he's an asshole, and it's like, no, he's... He, like, gave her the watch, too, and, and, like, I feel like as far as goodbyes go, he did a good one. Like, he he was like, I only have... I only have a few minutes to throw this together, but right. I'm going to have like a meaningful goodbye with my daughter. And again, obviously she's 10 years old, so she's immature and it's going to be tough for her to process. But uh, I don't feel like 30 or, or how many ever years of resentment 20, yeah, she went through. 23 years, I think. 23 yeah. years before she like, really? Just 23? I think it was. She was oh, like wait, because she was 10. Yeah, she was 10 when that happened, then, right? So, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, 23 years of resentment before she even can, like, consider making a video. Uh, it's also, and, like, a pride thing at that point, right? Like, Well, yeah, and then even then she's still pissed that she's like, did you? Did he know, like, that this was bullshit and, like, he was just yeah. leaving you behind? I would understand being mad if you actually thought that McConaughey – like knew that it was pointless and he was like i was like and then he just lied and was like oh i'm definitely coming back well, Psych, i'm definitely not coming back fuck my right. fuck you Murph. Gotcha, like, Murph. God, yeah like that's that You've just been seems, bamboozled. that's uh, i can understand being angry with the situation and right. being frustrated and depressed about it but i felt like she had a little bit more animosity towards mcconaughey than well, than i would then i think was logical i think it's i think it is logical because um like the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is indifference. And the fact that she still feels betrayed by him just shows to the depth of like emotion that she cares for him, you know, that she's still worried and that she still thinks about him, you know? So I think that, I think that plays into later themes in the movie, especially the themes about love. Um, and Which, yeah, I think, so do you I think the fact that, that she is still mad just proves how much she cares. I do want to get into that though, that the fact that love transcends, uh, time and space. Uh, time and space. Yeah, that's we will, an interesting. We will like... get to that. I have a good. I have a good thing for that. Okay. Um. Okay. So, but one other thing about this scene that's really interesting is that the soundtrack is like is really moving and everything. Um. And and really kind of helps move the story along. But I think the dialogue is the key, and the acting is is the key parts of this story. You know, if you took the if you took the sound out of it, it would still be a really impactful moment. Um. And I don't remember if it was Christopher Nolan who said this or if it was someone else, but they said. You can't use, or you shouldn't use the soundtrack to carry a moment. You should write the moment as if there is no sound, and then you add the sound in later to just give that extra emphasis. Um, and I, I can see that in this moment, where the soundtrack aids the moment, but it doesn't carry it, uh, which is something that you see when, like, 
you know, YouTubers are doing apology videos and stuff. They have like that sad soundtrack in the back. Like, I'm so sorry. And just like sad piano music, you know? And it's just like, how can you not feel sympathy? It's like, you're totally manipulating us into, you know, liking you again. How, how so, sad is it? <clears throat> how sad is it that the YouTube apology videos is like a genre? <laughs> like YouTubers have fucked up like immensely enough, like given enough of public apologies where it's like, you know, the format, you know? Yeah, I don't know. They're, I mean, celebrities have been apologizing for decades. So like it's a, it is a thing and there's a way to do it right and there's a way to do it wrong. And uh, one of the ways to do it wrong is to let the sound track carry your apology. So yep, yep. anyway, um, uh, he says uh, right before he leaves, he says, "I love you forever, and I'm coming back." Um, and then one of my favorite moments in the movie, uh, is when he's driving away, and he just has that look in his face where his like his eyes sort of closed, and it's just like this really subtle, like, just powerful, just you know, uh, no no dialogue necessary, not you know, not even any emoting, just like this, you should feel the devastation on his face. Um, and just him trying to deal with that, right? Saying like, "This is what I need to do. I have it's it's it may be impossible, but it is necessary." Especially because he was so strong in the face of like Murph breaking down, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then he finally, when once he's driving away, he's able to kind of let that uh, show. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree, and uh, I I know it's something like that. It's just so amazing to me that like. You're like you're sad in the car, right? It's, but you're not just sad in the car, right? It's like you're devastated. But how do you portray that in a way that's not melodramatic? Honestly, I'm it. always amazed by uh, child actors who actually can pull that stuff. Me too. Off. Yes, uh, and which, I, I really appreciated Murphs, or what's her name? Mackenzie something. Mackenzie Ford. Ford. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean she did well. Yeah, especially, and she wasn't even the whole movie. I mean, she was only in the first part, but she. Did Although. Great. Okay, this is also just me being a nitpicky kind of at this movie, but uh, I, I felt like the dialogue just all through young Murph's childhood was always that she was like, she was right the whole time about everything, right? Hmm. Like when she's talking about her ghost and they're like, oh, there's no such thing as ghost, Murph. And she's like, you said science is about admitting what we don't know. And then right. Donald's like, she's got you there, son. <laughs> like, she's she's fucking right. Like, yes. Uh, which... I don't know. It obviously was kind of, I mean, did you feel the same thing? Like, did you, uh, no, I didn't. I don't know. I just saw, I just saw it as her being really clever, I guess. Yeah. I no, like, and I, I took it as face value, I guess, because I mean, she is right. She, I mean, Matthew McConaughey is also super witty and like, he's really good at improvising and things. You see that throughout the whole movie. So like, it makes sense that she would also be really sharp, um, especially being raised by him. So I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I thought that was nice. And I thought it kind of gave them a connection too, um, that they had this stuff in common. Although I guess it, you could make the argument that it's kind of compensating for like the, um, she's a girl like tr- idea, right? Like you want to make sure that your girl characters are well represented and really strong and have no flaws. Otherwise it reflects badly on all girls. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. That's, and- that's the, that's the detriment of like, a, a you know, inequality in media. Sure. You see that sometimes in like in like video games, right? Where you can have a flawed male protagonist, but if you have a fe- a flawed female protagonist, because there are so few female protagonists in video games, it kind of makes a reflection on all women, um, instead of like this particular woman, um, which is just a det- a detriment due to a lack of representation. That's a good point because honestly, the only 
the only thing I could think of as far as like a character flaw of Murph is maybe she's like I would say maybe a little bit emotional, but all of her emotions are justified with it's just Absolutely. her reacting to the to the situation. Especially Meanwhile, for a ten year old. Right. Well also just th- throughout the rest of the movie too, as right. she becomes adult <laughs> Murph. Uh but Tom, on the other hand, who is just kind of well, he's kind of a I don't I wouldn't say like a numb skull, but even his like test scores aren't the highest. He like yeah. You know, he's just kind of stuck in his ways about being a farmer. To be a farmer kind of thing. He punches uh, the doctor and yeah, like he punches Topher Grace. Yeah, I do want to talk about. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. I think this movie kind of suffers um, from a lack of characters. I think there's like four characters in this movie. Even there's a lot more actors. Yeah. Um, I and agree. one of the, and one of them I think who suffers is Tom. I I think Tom could have been redeemed a little bit. There was something I wrote down about him. Well, it just seems yeah. like. They clearly, uh, Cooper clearly has a favorite child. He doesn't even like try to hide it. Yeah, that <laughs> is a, a theme I hear a lot. Uh, people complain about this movie. They're like, yeah, he cares about Murph a lot. But I don't know. I was looking for that this time. And I think he shows a lot of compassion for Tom. You know, he, he at the baseball game, he talks about like what he wants to do is in the future. And he, he, like, he makes an emphasis to say, but it, what's really important is what you want. Um, and when he does say goodbye to him at the end, you know, and he says like, this is your farm, this is your truck. Um, but he, like I don't know, I think he has to make that emphasis toward Murph because she is so young, and that and he knows that Tom will be okay without him. Um, I think, but, yeah, that's yeah. definitely true. Tom will be okay without him, and and maybe that's just like a different like way that society looks at males versus females, and that like because it, it doesn't seem unnatural the way that he says goodbye to to Tom. Like it doesn't seem like he's giving him any less. Uh, attention than is necessary. Yeah. Same thing with Donald. There, it's kind of like the like the the like the masculine way to say goodbye he's right. like he's like hey <laughs> his, like the last thing his son fucking asks is like hey can i drive your truck and he's like yeah. you mean your truck like <laughs> handing it ha- handing like the truck down is like that's all it yeah, takes totally totally the dude thing they're totally the dad yeah. to son thing try not so. to drink too many beers while you're driving my <laughs> like your truck <laughs> uh yes yeah so i think like What's interesting, uh, I guess we can get into this at the end a little bit more, but when Tom refuses to abandon the farm um, and, you know, Murph has to come through and burn his crops down, and, you know, he doesn't want to move his family out because even though the dust storm is getting worse. Um, and I think this is kind of, like, this would have been saved, like, Tom's character would have been saved if they had just one line of dialogue about him, like, doing his duty. Like, his father left him his, this farm and now he has to take care of it. Yeah. Um, which I think would have been really powerful, uh, but there wasn't anything like that in the movie. So like you kind of, Tom sort of falls flat. Um, and I think there's a lot of characters that the same kind of thing happens where they're, they're one dimensional or two dimensional, you know, they're not, they're not very flushed out. Like, I think McConaughey and Brand and then Murph, um, and then maybe Dr. Brand or, or, or I mean, a Dr. Man or, um, uh, Dr. Brand's father, Michael Caine, like maybe those guys are, are good characters, but everyone else just kind of has lines of dialogue. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think that also plays into this bigger theme of this, of this movie that, um, the it's, it's more conceptual than character driven, which is what pushes people away. I think people want to see characters, want to see individuals succeed or, or struggle. And then, um, you know, overcome. Um, but this movie is really about the concepts and like the idea of a great, huge humanity or, you know, the concepts of physics that they deal with. Um, and I Not, think that, that well, it's, it's interesting that the, because the movie doesn't have 
um, fleshed out characters, it's not received as well um, when it's trying to preach that it's not about individuals, it's about concepts. No, I definitely get that. And also, a lot of my criticisms do fall off once we get, when we, once we leave Earth, because uh, th- there's so many interesting concepts that this movie does explore. Uh, so I, d- I don't want to get too caught up in the, uh, the early stuff as far as like what I see as maybe lacking character development uh, when there's so much that this movie sure. does have to offer. Yes. Um, okay, so let's talk about the hibernation. So they they finally get to space, and um, well, okay, the, like the visuals are amazing. Uh, like actually, oh, yeah. lift off because it's it's almost instant. Like he's driving down the road, and then the right, and rocket then the is lifting starts, off. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in fact, yeah, the countdown starts while he's still in the truck, and it's uh, I don't know, the, yeah, visually stunning. Uh, everything that happens in space looks so cool. Especially, oh, yeah. especially all the the lack of sound yes exactly that's what I was about to say silence is so absolute in space uh especially when it's uh you know just kind of contrasted with what we've all heard so far uh it's it just right. kind of you'd think this would be the most you know rockets blasting off and uh but that's not how space sounds space no it's, it's somehow even more disturbing or somehow even more affecting just to have the total silence space especially um, when you see little uh propulsion jets going yes. off absolutely silently <laughs> yeah very cool it's really cool and yeah i i, I really enjoy that um and uh, i think that's just a, another adherence for, uh this movie is really adhering to the science um and that's another aspect where they do that well so um yeah they go into hibernation um and they talk a little bit about they go into hibernation for three years because they're trying to get to saturn and they talk a little bit about Dr. Mann and how he is the best of us. And he inspired 11 people to follow him into like into their deaths, basically. Yes. Um, and all of them do die. I guess that's kind of implied, right? You don't, I guess. Well, how about what, what other well, options? Well, because only three of the planets are deemed habitable, I think. Right? But yeah. they can only visit three of them. So the other nine just don't get visited at all assuming that their planets are not habitable so they just die on that planet right habitable or potentially just out of range right because they they only had so much fuel had to like choose the most logical places to go that's right they went to one system with three planets right right but but again yeah these people are all assumed dead yes they're they're gone um and then they go into um the wormhole which was really cool spherical hole in 3d space what did you think about the way they just they explained that um i've seen event horizon so they just literally stole the same explanation from event horizon oh really okay yeah and um i swear it's in another movie too where they do the exact same thing they literally draw two x's on a paper fold it in half and punch through it i think that i might be in star trek or something like they 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 show the same exact thing um yeah i I think it's an effective demonstration for sure uh, even if it is reused um and i do like that they like made an emphasis to say you know this is what it looks like in two dimensions but in three dimensions it's a sphere right cool. right right and the the way that it looked like the wormhole looked and like how they were moving across it and you could see the stars like like starting to blur underneath of them like like they were moving over a sea of of space you know yeah. that was so amazing um and it's just like 
this movie is is just trippy in like the best way it makes you just so appreciative of just like how incredibly beautiful the universe is and honestly easily i easily get just uh distorted by what's going on and i'm like truly what the fuck is going on like we're, we're like flying through like this thing was a sphere and now yeah. it's like a almost a tunnel that we're like tunnel, careening yeah. across and it's like huh you know I, I don't know it was uh bizarre and it even be so that wormhole that yeah. gravitational anomaly is different from the like event horizon or whatever that they were talking about later that yes McConaughey falls into because again I like I start losing track at that point uh so okay those are two different things so okay the the wormhole I think the best way you could describe it is like is the way they describe it in the movie or it's almost a it's not in our universe almost right, right? it's like a, a a hole punched into the space between space you could say okay. um so it's it's like you're entering a different universe. You're entering hyperspace or or whatever. Um, the event horizon is a phenomenon due to gravity and black holes, um, which is the event horizon is the exact moment that you can no longer leave. It's if you think of a if you if you think of a black hole as a waterfall, um, as you get closer and closer to the edge of the waterfall, the water speeds up. Uh -huh. And there's a certain point where you can no longer swim fast enough to escape the current. That is the event horizon. Okay, so the the wormhole is just a basically a, a tunnel through space. It's almost like it the you opposite. Else. Like you you can almost think of it as like like gravity pulling space apart so that it makes a hole that you can go through. Okay. Um, whereas uh, a black hole in the event horizon would be um, gravity so close together that it's impossible to escape. Okay. At least that's the way I understand it. No, sure. And it's, uh, I, I don't know, just through the one viewing uh, I did for this podcast, I was a little bit confused. Uh, so Gargantua is not the wormhole that they were going No, through. the wormhole okay. is totally separate. Although, okay. like, yeah, I, I they don't show it again. At least I don't think so. I assume you could go back through it, but they don't show the other side, I don't think. Got it. Um. Yeah, I really like the part where they're in the wormhole and um, there's they have the handshake where there's like there's this thing that's bending space in front of them and um, yeah no okay so Anne why Hathaway do you reaches out her hand and like they they touch and she she specifically realizes that it's a handshake and she's like yeah the first which is handshake. a clue that it's humans from the future right because a handshake is a very human construct sure so. I guess what were they? They were perceiving that as fifth dimensional beings shaking their hand, like that was something that Anne Hathaway was like, "Oh, this is happening." I like, suppose. I mean, like, <laughs> it's pretty bizarre. <laughs> well, no, that's the thing. When it was happening, I was like, "This is bizarre," and the fact that you can even call that a handshake. Right. Well, I yeah. I mean, every time I've watched the movie, I can't make out the human shape, but I assume that she could have, right? I and mean, she makes that distinction that it is human in shape, right, or personal humanoid i guess you could say so okay but she's i guess she again this is just these people have spent time around anomalies or gravitational anomalies right. so it's I don't like know. i don't know it's just like a, a feeling almost you know i think that that movie this movie kind of goes along with this idea of intuition or you know having a feeling towards something so like her like the, everyone else is like don't touch it and she's just like ah, oh, i'm gonna touch it so um <laughs> yeah i don't know it's that's a it's an interesting moment i think and um, it kind of speaks to this like idea of like 
contact over time and space or through or across time and space. Okay, because honestly, I didn't really get a whole lot from it besides like later. I was like, oh, I remember Anne Hathaway like shaking <laughs> hands with nothing. And it, it turns out it's actually uh, Matthew McConaughey. Like I, I realized it's like, oh, look, he's been influencing things this whole time. But there are other things he's influenced that are greater value. Uh, right. I just don't know if like I think it was a cool moment, but I don't know how much more I draw from it than that. Sure. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about gargantuan, which is this humongous black hole that some of the planets are orbiting. Yes. Um. Okay. So this is the 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 scenes you see of gargantuan are the most accurate depictions of black holes to date. They oh, really? hired um Kip Thorne who won the Nobel Peace Prize for Physics, um, I think it was last year, or maybe it was 2016, um, for his work with uh, gravitational waves in the LIGO experiments, um, which I don't know if you know anything about that. No. Nope. Uh, but basically, when two massive bodies in space collide or circle each other, they send out gravitational waves where like space and time are rippling. Um, and Einstein theorized that this would be possible or that these things would happen um, back when he was studying relativity. Um, and they were finally able to prove it um, through extensive tests. And like, it, it was really cool. Anyway, there's a ton of people that worked on it, but Kip Thorne was one of the main people and he got the Nobel Peace Prize for it. And he worked on this movie. He has a producer credit for this movie. Um, and there's this whole uh, interview they do with Kip Thorne and, and Christopher Nolan in the Wired magazine. Um, they talk about all the things they talked about and how they became friends through this movie and stuff. Um, it's so cool. And like to have this guy who knows so much about physics, like sit on the movie and be like, this is the best black hole picture we can make. Like knowing everything we know about black holes, this is what they look like to us. You know, maybe in the future we'll find something that changes our minds about that. I mean, we constantly find new things about science all the time, but yeah. Um, like, like when you, when people saw that they were looking at like, the most up-to-date physics possible, which is so crazy to me. Um, you know, they're looking at the, like the cutting edge of science in this movie. And that was what like drew people to it. You know, it wasn't so much like, Oh, this is a cool effect. It's like, this is what it really looks like. And it's really cool. Anyway. Um, so they talk about the planet that are going down to Miller's planet, which is within, uh, which is really close to gargantuan. And they said that every hour they spend on the planet is seven years on earth. That's relativity for you. Yes, which is a uh, is such a cool concept. It, it's one of my favorite parts of this movie is yes. the idea of time going different time speeds. Dilation. Di- yeah. Time dilation. Oh, nice. Yeah. So exactly, yeah. Uh, especially <laughs> in this specific situation, because uh, well, because of what happens. Yes, um, and what's really crazy to me is that like get down to the to the planet, and it's not at all what they expect. Like they think there's gonna be mountains, but the mountains are just waves. And the reason that they couldn't tell is because they're moving so slowly. Yeah. Um, which is yeah, just nuts to me. Um, I mean, and, and think about like, I mean, they, they kind of imply that too, but like a planet that is moving in time so much slower than we are, like, would never have time for like things to develop, right? It's almost yeah. like it's not exponential. It's uh, it's like multiple. It's ge- geometric, but it's um it's still like an incredible amount of time and they only spend a couple of hours down there and yet 23 years pass on the spaceship um which is just (laughs) mind-blowing well also isn't this uh 
the planet where they made the clones in Star Wars Episode Two. Yes, it is. Camino. <laughs> Camino, yeah. This is, uh, that was my first thought when they landed. I was like, oh, Camino. Yes. Oh, man. The shots in this, on this part are so crazy. Like, they have those helicopter shots or, like, the drone shots, and they show the water and just how, like, it's just for, as far as the eye can see, you know. But it's also, like, knee deep. Like Yes, <laughs> that blew my mind, yeah. freaking crazy. Uh, I mean, the, really imaginative, I think. And um, Yes, really and the whole, the whole concept that the reason that they went down there is because they're receiving – like, they knew about the time dilation, but they yeah. didn't calculate or they didn't consider the fact that that would – maybe the results they were getting weren't good. It's just the, the initial, like, signal over and over again. They yeah. Didn't, they didn't get that that was, like, an all-clear sign. And, yeah, she – like, the fact that she – the Miller died, like, a couple of minutes before they got there, like, that's so crazy, right? Yeah. And, like, even though they, they sent out on, the, on this expedition 10 years – before right and the, the, then she's just dead a couple of minutes later um and that didn't matter um yeah and then also during this time the soundtrack is like this ticking clock sound which comes up a couple of more times in the, in the thing in the movie uh, which is really cool because it, it transitions into the main theme and it's just like uh, which is the whole idea right there, it is a race against time there is this ticking clock of earth dying um so to have that kind of just accelerated on this planet where everything's accelerated is just crazy. And um, they lost uh, what's his name there, the doctor or whatever, one of the other. Uh, yeah, what was got... his name? Dang it. Um, what's his name from um, Hunger Games? The with the um, Seneca from Hunger Games, Doyle. Doyle, yeah. He uh, he totally gets wrecked, even though he was closer to the ship than. Yeah, he totally uh, just wakes him, and then the, the wave gets him, and he gets ripped away. Man. Sucks to suck, dude. Sucks to suck, and I mean, I felt bad for him, but I also didn't care at all about him, because he wasn't really a character. Right, but you also just, I guess, feel bad for uh, maybe Anne Hathaway, because she feels responsible. Uh, and yeah. she was, like, trying to complete the mission, but that was, like, counterproductive to the mission, because this that, that planet was basically a waste, and it was more important that they survive and right. make it off the planet so uh but yeah, yeah definitely it, drama and, well definitely drama and excitement on this planet to get you the, everything had been going well so far and then suddenly giant waves and death and oh yeah not it's not even the worst part of it 23 years went by while that like little yeah i was going wasted on. all this time right because like they got their water the engines got waterlogged it was just like but like what could you have done there's not much they could have done differently right like you can look at that and just be like oh there's all these you know regret all this regret you can face but like i mean they really didn't have time to to think anything else through they were well, as what, quickly as possible they were, they, were, ex- they were as quick as possible they're literally discovering planets that people have only been to once i guess like really they're they're going right. to situations that humans have never experienced so yeah i think that they did okay <laughs> yeah uh, all things considered absolutely um yeah i think this is i think this brings up a really interesting prospect that like you know this is an obviously an obvious extreme but you could picture the same kind of effect happening to other civilizations right like imagine there was another planet another like civilization of uh, another race of aliens out there in the world or out there in the galaxy, excuse me. <laughs> and they um, they are closer to a black hole than we are, so time moves slower for them by, like, you know, a couple of years, maybe, right? Like, every hundred years past the past for us is 50 years for them, 
right? Uh-huh. Like, imagine what that would, kind of like difference that would create, um, just between like civilizations and stuff. Like, you would kind of advance quicker. Or imagine, imagine like the opposite is true, where like, it turns out that a black hole that's close enough to us is affecting our time, and someone in someone else's civilization is moving so much faster because they're so much farther away. It just gives you this idea of like of relativity that like time is not this constant force. I mean, it is, but it, it's not consistent. It's it's fluctuating. It's like different zones. Like you can think of time as almost like a, a map of topography, right? That there's different like areas in the galaxy where time is moving faster or slower. It's just it's um, just it's bonkers, crazy. man. It's hard to conceptualize because how can? But it's done so well in this movie. It's and to the absolute uh, amazing effect. It's just like yeah, the drama that ensues is just uh, disturbing in the most deep way. <laughs> No, yeah, seriously. And, like, I mean, you. I guess you can be like, oh, well, time always moves slower when I'm at the DMV, am I right? Like, but, <laughs> Closer to but, a black hole there. Yeah, <laughs> but it's – I don't – you can't – I don't know. It's really hard to uh, conceptualize. Like, it's – I've been here for an hour and 20 years have gone by, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, so it's nuts. But which was on like I guess one way that you can kind of put it into perspective is when they return to the ship, they have Romilly there, and he's like, well, "I thought you guys were dead. I thought you guys were never coming back." Like I, yeah, I'm old now, and uh, right. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, how can you pot? Like, imagine like you're in the situation where you're like you have to meet your friends somewhere, right? And you you're like, oh, okay, how how much time will I give them until I know they're not showing up? Right? It's like. 30 minutes maybe an hour and then you're like okay obviously something's wrong and i shouldn't wait here any longer yeah. but for him it's just like ah you know i'll i'll wait here for um <laughs> seven <laughs> years i don't know like 14 years 20 years like how long do you wait that's like uh, gives them enough time right right like, imagine they hit traffic on the way up like what <laughs> that's gonna be so that's much technically what they you. had they had engine trouble that was a uh that's yeah, why exactly. they had to wait so like how, how can you like what kind of like when what do you cut it off yeah you know, what do you say enough is enough enough time has passed especially when time is moving so much slower for you romilly uh did he have the capacity to go home i don't know i mean he wasn't a pilot i guess right because uh, okay. although i assume all of them kind of had have to know a little bit about the ship and stuff so i, I really don't know like why i qu- stayed well my question is like uh could you potentially use a telescope and look down at the planet and see matthew mcconaughey in slow motion i assume so i assume that's like what they did in the first place to determine that this planet was even habitable right because they thought they right. were mountains so they were looking down and being like look yeah. this thing that isn't moving obviously is a mountain <laughs> it's a mountain <laughs> right okay which is kind of funny because like those waves probably move at the same rate that our mountains move. And that's not probably true, but like our mountains on earth move, you know, yeah. like they get taller and like they get, they shrink and like they move across cause the continents are drifting and things. So like from a, if you sped up time to the point where you're at this planet or something like that, you could, the, the ground would be waves. So it's, it, I think it's fascinating. Okay. So, um, uh, before they get back to the ship, they spend a little bit of time talking about philosophy. They talk about gravity and love, and they talk about the five-dimensional beings that are talking to us from the future. Yes. Um, so they, 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 they do mention this again later in the movie, um, but they talk about how like gravity 
would be able to affect things across dimensions, uh, which is pretty amazing um, to think about, especially since like the way we understand gravity um, is all based in time. I don't know. It's it's very um, it's a very confusing subject. But, yes, extremely confusing. I can I can vouch for that. <laughs> but it's like gravity is something that's just constant around us, right? Like everything in that we do on Earth like, has to fight gravity in some way. So, um, in order to, the fact that we could potentially control it and that we could you know make it into something that we could use for communication or propulsion or something is just totally mind blowing. It's like bending the laws of physics to you know help you with your you know your quest so sure bending reality itself um yeah so i i I think it's really interesting that you know they they group gravity or they say that gravity can affect things across dimensions that is that powerful okay so they get back to the ship 23 years have passed and um they have 23 years of messages to listen to oh which that was cool too yes this is one of my favorite parts of the movie as well it's when he's when matthew mcconaughey sees his son grow up before his eyes he has a grand a granddaughter and then that the child dies in the space of a couple minutes like yeah yeah everything well, is condensed at the very least dude you have to be happy to find out that your son became Kay, uh, casey affleck like that, that was that was at <laughs> least for me that's, a, not, that's not a great thing <laughs> <laughs> well i uh, i actually totally forgot he was in this movie i was like oh shit yes. casey affleck yes casey uh, affleck yeah, we've got uh, the makings of what's that movie where, uh, uh, or what's his name? Uh, Matt Damon is a genius. Um, oh, uh, um, Goodwill Hunting. Yes, I was like, oh, is, is Casey Affleck in that movie? Yeah, isn't he? Uh, isn't Ben Affleck is, also in that movie? Ben He's Affleck like, is in the movie, but I don't know if Casey Affleck was in the movie. He might he, be. I just don't he, remember. He plays his actual brother, like the Affleck brothers play right. brothers in that movie. But anyways. Uh, which I guess I'm getting I'm getting ahead of myself here talking about Matt Damon already, but uh, the yeah no it was it definitely it was another one of those uh, like similar to the saying goodbye to Murph situation yeah. where it was like this is tough to right, watch. Right, he sees just like just I mean the results of this devastation, right? Like he kind of knew that this would happen, but maybe not to this degree. Um, and it's I mean it is really affecting, especially from the audience standpoint. Yeah, and um, also knowing that it's going to happen is not as bad as it actually happening and witnessing it. You know, yeah, it's like, oh, it's God. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's nothing you can prepare, prepare yourself for that. I mean, it's just like, it's so deeply moving. And then finally seeing his daughter well, uh, at the same age. You know, He says his son, Casey Affleck, yeah. is like, yeah, I guess I'm done doing these. Like, this is it. Goodbye. And then the screen blacks out. And then there's like silence and nothing. And he's like, shit. And then, then his daughter shows up, which... Okay, who is he? Wa- which screen is he watching that on? Like, who is controlling that? Because somebody did that on purpose. Because all the other ones were like back to back to back to back. He's trying to make a dramatic moment. Yeah, Tars is like, oh, and wait till you see this shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, that that was like kind of put in there for dramatic effect, but I, I, I still like he gets shivers just thinking about it. And right. Well, I thought about just, it uh, as it happened. Incredible. I was like, that was definitely, I guess, the right choice for the dramatic, like. You have to tell it like that because if you just saw him end and didn't give us a chance to absorb the fact that it, like his son is saying I'm done and that's it, it yeah. wouldn't have been as satisfying to see Murph show up, uh, especially because right. But I mean, it's so crazy from their standpoint too. Like you don't know if your your dad is dead or anything. Like 
he's just out there. So like, should you keep sending messages or should you, like, is it a waste of time? Like, like it's not even like this would be like the type one, type two error in this situation. It's just both of them are not great. Like either either a he's alive and you're not sending messages, um, so he feels like you abandoned him, kind of. Or B, he's dead and you are just like spending all your time thinking about this guy who's died 20 years ago right like neither of those situations are ideal at all right right. so um yeah it's just uh it's it's pretty affecting and i um i don't know Uh, something i think about a lot actually it's interesting how also how it bounces back into earth because at this point we've been watching a lot of space happening and all the things that are happening yes. on his mission but then it goes back to earth with adult murph now working with uh michael kane on some michael kane Ma- yes michael kane uh on some math shit and yes. she's starting to kind of figure the, it out the, the gravity equation yes um that's right and uh, which is cool i like that that she um like transitioned into doing kind of her father's work in a way or or being a part of his his legacy um which is awesome okay so this is where brand starts talking about love and they start talking about um where they should go next um because they have two planets but they only have enough fuel to go to one really um well they only have enough fuel to go to one and then make it back to earth they actually do have enough fuel to make it to both planets but they if they go to both planets they can't go back to earth right um so they have to decide which way they're going to go and Brand says that they should go to Edmund's planet, um, um, and part of the reason that they want to is because she wants to follow her heart. He says that makes me want to follow my heart. Um, uh, when she's talking about where they should go, yeah. So I think that's um, it's really interesting how they talk about how love is a is something that we invented, or no, love isn't something we invented. It's observable, powerful, and it has to mean something. And this comes back. Um, at the end of the movie, when Matthew McConaughey is floating through the Tesseract, he's um, behind the bookshelves. Um, it's that love for his daughter that kind of brings him there and then allows him to communicate in a way. Um, and I really like this um, message from the movie. And I think this is the thing that I took away from it the most, is that like we have this feeling that, that we call love, um, that people kind of reduce down to chemical, like, feeling the chemical imbalances in the brain or you know they say like oh it's just this thing that you feel because you like it's it's a social utility um but like this movie makes the case that that's not true that like love is something that transcends time and space and that it's this powerful force that if we spent enough time observing it we could use it and harness it for our own like purposes um which is pretty much what happens in this movie um, and I think that's just a really interesting idea that like this phenomenon that we kind of are dismissive of because it's too ethereal um, becomes like a science. It becomes something that we can uh, harness, po- observable and powerful. No, I think it's interesting. It's it's the concept of love. Is it a social construct or is it a you know something beyond that? Uh, I just. Uh, while we're on the topic of it, I recently read The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. And the, in the book, they the society that she lives in has kind of progressed past love. They're mm. like, so love is not required for uh, 
basically like their culture and they talk about how they're the one that the society the dystopian society they create is much better because uh they've moved beyond love and it, and it seems so wrong everything about their society is so i, I don't know bass backwards and it i think it is i think it's interesting because i wouldn't say that that's like the main point of the book but i think there is kind of like the underlying idea within uh handmaid's tale is that we love is something that we uh kind of as humans like uh, it exists no matter what like it's not something you can uh yeah something something Uh, we need something that like uh it's a motivator at the very least right but um yeah but but it but there's there's something about it that's kind of it kind of is transcendent as far as uh your i don't know just your human experience goes like it it has like a greater meaning that maybe is a little bit more difficult to understand uh, which i think is interesting although as a she was like a scientist having a scientific discussion about where they should go i think the guy I'm in love with is on this planet is going to get people to be like, nah, <laughs> that's a <Yeah>. bad reason. <laughs> right. Which is, what is interesting though, because, um, she's totally right. First of all, because Dr. Man was lying. Um, yeah, but I think this, this plays into this. Um, I think probably the most heavy handed, um, metaphor in this movie is the fact that, um, you can't rely on Dr. Man. Um, it's like this, like man by itself as an individual is unreliable and uh, will fail you in the in the long run. And so, uh, what they instead of relying on man, which is the past, they should have been relying on love, which is the future. Okay, I I didn't see that before, but I definitely see where you're coming from now. I just made the connection that man is uh... the folly of man. You yeah. might say. <laughs> So, like, Matt Damon is supposed to be the personification of mankind in general, like, our kind of, like... Maybe our... I think so, kind of, in a way. Like, he's, he's like, he's supposed to be our philosophical ideal, right? He's this selfless guy who went off on this mission to save humanity. Um, but in the end, he falls from grace because uh, he can't go through with it. And he preserves... He tries to preserve his own life at the expense of everyone else. Um, so... Yeah, I I think he is supposed to be kind of a metaphor for our shortcomings in a way. Um, you know what we what we pretend to be or what we want to be versus what we actually are. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, right. So this is the part where they actually do reach Doctor Man's planet and they meet Matt Damon. Um, a Matt Damon surprise is what I wrote down because I I didn't know he was in this movie until I saw it the first time. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I I didn't know that either. I didn't know any of the actors that were in this actually, but I think that was a, like I didn't look at the casting list or any or commercials, but uh, I think that that was a thing, right? It was kind of like a it was a surprise, kind of, yeah. He, it was. I don't even think he's in the in the final credits. He's in. He's on um, IMDb, but I was looking. I was trying to like check the um, like the the credits list as I was rolling by when I watched it. And I'm pretty sure he's uncredited. Really? Yeah. Uh, well, it's I, but I believe like the theatrical release of this movie, it wasn't, uh, n- you know, widely known. Like he wasn't in commercials or anything. Yeah. Kind of like, ah, uh, what's his name? The guy from Magic Mike. I always forget his name. Uh, the big buff guy who's oh. in oh, no. uh, it, it, Hateful Eight. Oh, Hateful Eight. Channing Tatum. Yes. How? Uh, 
he is uh like with Channing Tatum, like it's in the opening cinematics, but it, he's very much a like kind of surprise uh, that oh, he was in it. So I, 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 well, I knew he was in those movies. So well, I don't know. I, I like. I think that it's a similar kind of thing where it was like, oh, like this huge star is just in this small role uh, that mm. ends up being. Similar, I haven't seen The Martian, but I understand that Matt Damon is also stranded in space yes. in The Martian. Martian's really good. The book is amazing. Um, the movie is really, uh, really adheres to the book, too. So YouTube like, recommended I would, that I, I watch The Martian next after I finish you, this movie. I think you should. It's really good. Um, I, like, when I was, when I was, I don't want to talk too much about The Martian, but um, when I was listening to The Martian on audiobook, I, I kept forgetting it wasn't real. Like, everything about it was so, like, detailed and, like, felt so, like, of, like, of Earth, like, there's no science fiction at all. It's all like based in real science. It was amazing. I, I really liked it. Anyway, so yes, uh, Matt Damon surprise. Um, they do this thing when like movies do this thing where they kind of like dramatically reveal people sometimes, and you can kind of tell that something's gonna happen. Like, like they spend a lot of time lingering on like where his face is gonna be. You know, like the opening the thing and everything. And you're like, what is? This? He's just a dude. Like, why is? Why are they spending so much time, like an emphasis on like him, and then when it's revealed it's Matt Damon, it's like, oh yeah, because he's recognizable. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, he kind of yeah. like it's interesting how he kind of like uh, came back from the dead, and that was like the whole Lazarus thing. Uh, That's right. Where he was like, yeah, I went to sleep and I didn't set a wake up date. Like I was gonna die. Yeah, like, his I basically off too. So yeah, he right. was he was just gonna sleep his way his life away. Um. Yeah, this is a really interesting part of the movie um this planet that they're on is really interesting too it's like the it's like on the cloud layer i guess and everything is like frozen it's like frozen ammonia um and I, w- I was really wondering where this was shot because it was a really strange looking place so the the thing the rocks that they're walking on weren't, weren't rocks at all right that was just frozen stuff i, don't know. I, I like, honestly can't tell like he said something about a surface but like was there even a surface or was yeah. it just solid cloud you know yeah, no, because he uh, later you find out he's lying. But like they uh, they crashed into one of the yeah, clouds. Which is cool. You start to realize that something's weird, wrong right then. You know, it, when the clouds are solid. Yeah, it was cool that they were like they're just like trying to fly through it and it cracks. Yeah, and uh, it's like I don't know. It like visually it was cool. Um, yeah, so this is the part where we've already talked about a little bit about how um, we care about who people we know, but. That empathy hardly extends to the rest of the species, um, and uh, Doctor Man starts um, espousing philosophy about the fear of death. He says that it's the single greatest source of inspiration, um, which is exactly what he does. Right, his fear of death causes him to fake the data to save basically himself. And he's definitely uh, kind of that, that. The idea of that survival instinct fascinates him, uh, especially yeah. when it gets around to betraying Cooper. Right. Um, yeah, which goes to like, yeah, I mean, he has a kind of a plan, but it doesn't go out, doesn't go very well for him. Sure. Um, but I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. I want to, while he's still on the up and up. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's all I have to say about that, really. Um, okay, so his plan, he, he got down there. So. Sure, well, he gets down there, he decides this is hopeless, and he confronts his own mortality and says, no, I, I want to live. So yeah. he fakes the data and hopes, in the hopes that somebody will show up and save him. Yes. And which they do. Well, they don't, they're not there to save him. They're there to create society. But his, the world, yeah. Yeah, but his plan is to kill them and steal their ship and go back to Earth? I guess. It's, uh... Invent some sort of story about it? I mean, he has time to think about it, so... 
<laughs> that's true. Uh, I don't know. Or maybe he was going to go to the last planet. Who knows? Like what he was going to do. But yeah, he didn't want to die there. Um, there is like a they they write this little comic in um, the magazine, the the Wired issue of, that shows Doctor Man discovering the planet and discovering that he's going to. That's not what they thought. Um, and then his decision to kill his robot, which was really interesting uh, because it's something they didn't really talk about in the movie um, because he's all alone on the planet besides the robot. So yeah. Um, he talks to the robot and the robot's annoying him. So he's like threatening to change his settings. Um, but the robot's like, would you really do that? Because if you did, it would break the illusion that I'm a real person. Um, and then you'll truly be alone. Um, so he first has to make that decision, um, before he can wow. like, even move past that, which is really cool. I like that. I wish he talks about, about that. that in the movie a little bit, but well, they do a little Cooper bit. Just kind of mistreats his robots throughout the movie. So, true but uh he even talks about that he's like you know i thought i was alone until i until i didn't have the robot and then i really knew what it was like to be alone yeah uh but doesn't he claim like his obviously you can't trust matt damon in this movie but doesn't he claim it's because like the parts deteriorated or something yeah he said something about that and he started using him for spare parts but no it was, i think it was pretty clear that he decommissioned him because the robot would tell the people on the planet that the truth yeah um i think that was kind of implied so which then he he arms the robot to explode if somebody tries to. Yeah, I was a little confused about that. Um, I don't really know exactly what, what that was. I guess he did. I mean, it would be kind of weird. Like that's kind of a like a weird forethought, right? First, you have to like. I guess it makes sense. Like the only way he would wake up is if people visited the planet. So he would set a booby trap, um, before he went to sleep, um, to make that explode if people started to wake up the robot. Because at that point, they would know he's lying. Yeah. Right. So it's too late for them. So you might as well go all out. I don't know, but yeah, um, that wasn't really explained. And then poor, but poor Romilly, dude, he gets <laughs> he gets left on the spaceship for twenty three years, and then he's like, years, and then finally they're up. back. Yeah, and he gets blasted by a traitorous uh, Matt Damon. So yeah, a traitorous Matt Damon. Who would have saw that coming? R.I.P. Romilly, dude. He uh, he didn't. He deserved better. <laughs> okay, now let's let's talk about my favorite scene in the movie. The docking scene. Yes. Um, this is like this part is so intense, like edge of your seat, just like fist clenched, everything sweating, like I like ugh, man, when I think of tension, this is this is the part I think about. And this is probably the like the scene that will stick with me the most out of any part of this movie. Just like the it's just so amazing. Um and uh, yeah, so the basic the setup is that Matt Damon goes to the, like takes a ship, goes to the ship. He tries to dock with the ship, but it doesn't work. So he opens the airlock, and then it explodes and blows apart of the ship. And now the endurance, the the like the space station that they need to connect to to put the shuttle to, um, is spinning out of control, and it's about to enter the atmosphere, um, and, and then burn up. So Matt McConaughey, in order to like save himself and Brand and the ship and the mission, needs to dock with the ship. Um, and then move it out of orbit. Um, and in order to do that, he has to match the exact speed of the spinning ship, which I think is just this like this incredible like level of detail I, that I love. And seeing that whole thing move uh, like apart from each other, and it's like they're just spinning and everything. And like as they spin, the ship stops to stop spinning, and then the world outside starts to spin. Um, it's just this like oh man, it's such an amazing scene. And the music to this like. Hans Zimmer's score just really accentuates just how tense this part is, and it makes you just want to like 
like just cheer them on. You're like, come on, you can do it. Like, and uh, yeah, the, one one of my favorite lines in the movie, which is super cheesy, but also like incredibly, I just love it. It's um, he's talking to to Tars, and he says, um, he says like, how is this, like we what we need to do match the speed of the of the spinning ship? And he says that's not possible. He says no, it's necessary. And um, <laughs> just a I love that line. Um, and like. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense, but I don't care. It's so good. Well, one of the things I've kind of noticed with, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm just connecting two dots here, but between like Star Wars and this movie, being a great pilot is almost like beyond <laughs> science. It's like a thing. It's like it's within you. It's just like, right. oh, yeah, he's a great pilot. True. Anything you is possible. do what the computers can't do. Right? Exactly. Right. Like being a pilot is almost the sixth sense where if you are really in tune with it, uh, you can get away with almost anything. Maybe, and... maybe that's true, actually. But um, they why would it? Actually... No, I'm not a pilot. <laughs> well, they, they they actually do set this up now that now that you say that. Um, earlier in the movie, they talk about how they couldn't send just robots into the wormhole because robots didn't ha, don't have the ability to improvise, which is exactly yeah. what Cooper does in this situation. Is he sees the situation, he knows what he needs to do, and he improvises to make it work, uh, which is something that you know it, it, it is a little bit beyond science. You know, it's um. Right, but it's, it's not so beyond sense. science that it's unbelievable. No, not at uh, all. That's what makes it so cool, is that it's totally within the realms of possibility. Um, which is like, and, but you see just how difficult it is, and like, Brand is starting to black out and everything because they're spinning so fast, um, and the ship is like changing its rotational speed because it's falling into the atmosphere. Oh, man. I it's love, just... yeah, I love the way it looks too because like, as they're lining up, everything is spinning, but then as the ship like what they're in matches the same uh, rotation. Yes. Uh, everything stops rotating. Right, just like and... a strobe light, uh, which I love. It's so cool. Um, and yeah, I uh, what was I gonna say? I, the the docking scene. Uh, I think this is like a part of the, one of the motifs in this in this film is this change of perspective. So you you start off with you know seeing things a certain way, but then you realize that things are different. And I think this movie shows how you can shift your perspective. This scene specifically shows how you shift your perspective to make things work for you. Um, you know, the, the ship is spinning, but then as you're as they start to spin the ship too, your perspective changes to the ship is not spinning anymore, um, which I think is uh, something that they touch on a bunch of times. Anyway, love that scene. Talk about it for hours. There's this really great YouTube video of someone recreating it using a using a like an electric fan um, set to the score of it that uh, I absolutely love because it's just like this, like the people are just holding it and they're just like spinning and stuff. And like, it's so funny. It's like this <laughs> low budget version of the docking scene. It's so funny. Check that out. Okay. Um, What's it called? Uh, if you look up docking scene on YouTube, I think it will show up. Let me, let me just do that right now. It's, uh, that's the other thing that I think I missed is I, I didn't really experience this movie during its like cultural relevance and I feel like there's a lot in this movie that's worth uh, exploring on your own. So I, I, I would love to check out some of the things that have been created as a result of this movie. Uh, like recreations like that, but also just maybe discussions of the physics. Like, I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson has his opinion. Oh, yeah, about I'm this sure movie. he does. I'm sure he, if you go back through his tweets, he'll have something to say about that. Here, I'll send you the link in the, the message. The um, universe is. <laughs> has exactly one Matthew McConaughey in <laughs> the galaxy. <laughs> yes, can't can't go wrong with that. Okay, so 
Um, at this point, they decide that you know they don't have enough fuel to get to the last planet um, on their own, so they're going to slingshot around the black hole to make it to Edmund's planet. Um, and um, yeah, Cooper decides that he's going to fly into the black hole um, and sacrifice himself in order to shed weight in order for Bran to um, make it to our planet. And I think this is kind of smart um, uh, from Matthew McConaughey's perspective or Cooper's perspective because at this point he doesn't have to face the wrath of his daughter. <laughs> he can say like, oh, you know, I, I sacrificed myself. Like, I died on the mission, so that's why I couldn't come back to you. You know, instead of like admitting that, you know, the mission was only to, um, to save the human race. Yeah. Or, or to spread the species, not to save the human race. Um... Okay. Which was, okay, because I love the juxtaposition of letting go of the two ships that they had to shed the weight. Because yes. the first one was TARS, right? Yes. So they let That's go right. of TARS, and that was the moment, I mean, we talked about it earlier, is that while these robots do have a lot of humanity to them, they have a lot of uh, human characteristics. I mean, they literally sure. are the settings within their programming, like humor and uh, Trust honesty. Trust and honesty, yeah. Yeah, so letting them go while it, it, you're definitely like no tars like yes tell me another joke but uh <laughs> but you can't let go of them and be like well it's just it's just a robot at the end of right. the day but then, and then right, mcconaughey puts then you, on that level yeah right and you're like oh my gosh like now i am yeah, i it's the same exact thing but for like a real person i don't know it's just an interesting juxtaposition between how uh they equivalent the, those two yeah and uh but also the the how ready matthew mcconaughey was to like he was ready to make that uh sacrifice sacrifice, for the mission that's right i mean and like the truth is you couldn't survive a black hole even before you reach the the event horizon they do talk a little bit about how it's like a gentle like event horizon or a a gentle singularity and like how they can if they entered it quickly enough then they would pass straight through the event horizon and not face ill effects but that's just not true like there's this thing that would happen that happens uh, when you enter a black hole called spaghettification, which is when your the tidal forces, the gravitational forces on your feet are higher than they are at your head, and you're literally stretched to the point where you're like a like a thing of spaghetti. Um, spaghettification. Spaghettification. Oh, spaghettification. Spaghettification. Okay. No. Uh, yeah, that's. I was like, spaghettification sounds yeah, like that, what happens like on a... Halloween. Yes, that's when <laughs> something's really spoopy. <laughs> but. Uh, no. Okay, yeah, so I definitely, I wasn't really thinking about that, I guess, when I saw this happen, because I was just like, what the hell is going on? But at least, okay, so he would but definitely... I also would have liked to see, like, from, from an outsider's perspective, nothing passes over the event horizon, because time basically stops at that point, um, but not for the person in the black hole, for someone observing it. So, like, if you were to throw, it's interesting, like, if you were to throw a baseball into a black hole you would just see the baseball floating there at the event horizon forever or whatever shape shape it is at that point because it's yeah. totally destroyed but it's just spaghetti it would never actually enter the black hole and disappear um at least not from your perspective so like i think it's really funny to think of like throwing a bunch of like probes into a black hole and they're all just stuck on the edge almost like like flypaper or something you know <laughs> um but i mean obviously they would actually make it through you just couldn't see them make it through right um and yeah, so he enters the black hole, and this is the point where um, the movie stops adhering to science and starts adhering to art, because nobody knows what happens when you go to a black hole. So at this point, Christopher Nolan can go wild and make whatever he wants and 
this movie. So this is when um, Cooper interact starts interacting with fifth, five dimensional space as perceived um, in three dimensions. Yes, and I'm I'm understanding this is something that was curated by fifth dimensional beings to make it useful. Yeah, that's what seems to be implied. I think they do say something about that, how they created this space for him. Um, and you can tell it's the same it's the same room over and over and over again throughout time. Yeah. Um, and there's like bunches of different corridors and he like he falls into it, which is um, really interesting, I think. Because um, like I think you can make the, the case that um, if free will doesn't exist, that you are falling through the fifth dimension or the sixth dimension even where like the, all of your possibilities uh, lay in at different spaces to you. And, um, but if you have no free will, then you are literally being pulled by something toward your eventual destiny. Um, and so to him, to have him fall into this space, I think is really, um, symbolic and he gets there and then he's like floating around and he slowly kind of realizes that he does have some control over what's going on although he spends a lot of term time yelling at murph Murph! (laughs) well yeah and and i think a lot of the confusion around this part is my own confusion with what's going on during this part is just it's hard to conceptualize it's hard to like not just conceptualize but it's hard to visualize the addition of of uh new dimensions right well, i because... mean i think it's literally impossible honestly to actually visualize um because we are not just because we're so used to our like our three dimensions just but just like we don't have the capability like we can't we we, we our minds simply can't handle it we can we can try to it's kind of like imagining a billion right like you know what a billion is you could you could technically count to a billion if you wanted to Right, you can deal with a billion as a number, but you can never actually physically visualize a billion in your mind. Yeah. Um, and the same thing is true for I think dimensions, where it's just like it, it's it's literally impossible for us to conceptualize. You just kind of have to work around it somehow. As a metaphor and an analogy is your friend here. So, which I guess to to bring that back, like I think they do an okay job of it with this. I think it's but, I think it's great. I think they do a, a great job showing you. That, that I don't think it's explained as well as it could be, but I think if you understand like what's going on in that situation where he's like interacting with Murph through the bookshelf um, throughout time, yeah, you um, yeah, it is a way of showing it. So like, why specifically the bookshelf? Like, that's a really good question. Um, is I think it's okay let's step back a little bit i think he's interacting with murph because of his deep connection with her yes and because love can transcend time and space as dr brand says early in the movie this is like let's look at it from the fifth dimensional beings perspective right they're looking back on the history of earth and they're like we're looking for a guy who has these skills now we also can observe that he is the most emotionally attached or he has the most love for this other person. So let's put them in contact in order to facilitate what we need to happen, the communication to happen. Right. Um, and it's because of that connection that they find him in the first place and select him. And also um, they use it 
in order to construct this area so that he kind of knows what he needs to do, I guess. They kind of guide him toward their solution, Yeah, I, I suppose. And I think the bookshelf is supposed to be symbolic um, because books also transcend time and space, where books are like can contain ideas um, that have been written down thousands of years ago, and we can read them today and still feel like we're there. Um, I kind of got that feeling when I was reading the book Siddhartha that the um, the author was almost looking at the world through my eyes while I was reading that book. I was almost in his shoes, right? Like we had tr- we had switched places when I read that book, and I think that um, that's kind of what this is supposed to symbolize in a way. And actually, um, there is a little article in the, the magazine about the books that they chose. Um, and like why they the books that are on the shelf and why Christopher Nolan chose them, um, which is kind of cool. Right, which I uh, that was my initial thing. I was like, you have uh, I don't know, I don't know if there's an encyclopedia set out there, but encyclopedias are alphabetical, right? Yes, I have I I have an encyclopedia or used to anyway. Right, and there's like a bunch of books, but there's at least most of them are one letter, right? Like topics that start with the letter B. Topics. Most that start with... of them, I think a couple. I think a couple like so... of them were reused. I think the like X, Y, and Z were all one book or something. Yeah, yeah. But what I, like my initial thought because he tries to say stay right, yeah. and he does that with Morse code, which right. I didn't. I personally didn't understand how that worked out. Was he like pushing out one book for a dot and like multiple books for a dash, and he was just like going down the row doing that? I wasn't really sure what the whole like how he was pushing books and that was simultaneously Morse code. Yeah, that wasn't really clear either. Um, it was just I think what you said was right. Like maybe one book is a letter and then two books is a, like do- uh, one book is a dot, a dot, two books is a dash. Yeah, and like you separate by one book for each dot and then two books for each letter. I don't know. That's the thing that the thing that always confuses me about Morse code is like where does the letters start and end yeah right because an e is one dot but like an an s right an s is three dots so how do you know that's not three e's i have no idea (laughs) i think it's i think you have to like there's spaces in between like you do beep and then it's beep 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 right you do it all at once so that you know it's all one thing i don't know i don't know how it works but i assume like they were able they were able to communicate and they were able to communicate simply because morse code is very simple yeah right and i guess okay so i'm uh i'm just trying to understand because all this stuff kind of happens really quick and he's yeah. like pulling the strings for gravity here too so how did he communicate that the coordinates based on like the way he said the it dust was binary landed? so I don't, I don't know exactly how that translated either but i guess he understands binary and like i guess if you look at it from the point of view of time travel he could screw this up so all the time right he could he, could, he has unlimited tries to yeah. get this right so you know, he could spend as much time as he wanted trying to communicate and make sure he checked his work and everything. So I think it's reasonable to assume that he was able to communicate eventually. Um, and yeah, it seemed like he was just blocking some of the sand and keeping some of the, and letting some of the sand fall, you know, in a way. Okay, and so... did you notice at the, at the beginning of the movie that, like, sand was falling on the camera? But the very first, like, thing, before you see anything, is, like, sand... No, no, it's not the beginning of the movie. It's when he first enters the black hole sand like, yes. is falling on his face yeah 
I uh, I honestly didn't know what the hell was going on. I at think that, that point. was I think that was that, and I think that was like because because it was also a throwback to his crash that he had uh, before the movie even begins, the right. one he was dreaming about. Uh, because they're like eject, eject, and he has to like eject, which they and... also imply is the the reason he crashed is because of some sort of anomaly, and that they, they yes they, let, they had grounded him so that they could reuse him later for this mission. It all comes together. <laughs> I think it's really cool. Um. So yeah, at this point, he realizes like that he has to complete the loop, right? He has to send the message that started him on this journey in the first place, um, and that they just gave the fifth dimensional humans or whoever they are gave him the ability to do that. Um, they granted him the means of communication, and he just has to send the message. And then, uh, of course, Tars um, discovers or the find you know is able to absorb observe excuse me he's able to observe um gravity at quantum states and use that information um to to relays that information to cooper who relays that information to murph through her watch um which is happens later in her life sure so how 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 do you program a watch to do that he said he did it in binary and the watch hand i guess right so I guess you could say, I have no idea, honestly. Like, okay, well, the thing is, it's okay. <laughs> like, there's a lot of this stuff where it's like, now we're getting into transcending dimensions, so it's like whatever. It, kind it just of, like, wouldn't. It doesn't like the thing that a little bothers me about this a little bit is like, why didn't he do something more direct? Like you're saying, like why didn't he push out the letters that for for stay instead yeah. of like doing it directly? But the way I kind of reconcile that is that these are all very small occurrences you know this is not going to affect grad like earth's path through the universe yeah you know this isn't going to affect like this isn't going to create some sort of sinkhole and kill everybody this is a very small thing you know yeah and like probably the the things that you can affect that would be least effective over you know you know the chaos that is the universe would probably be sand falling and a, a watch hand moving right so i think that's kind of justified in a way um but it's not really explained, and I they don't really say how it's done. But I assume like it's the same kind of deal, you know, like one click is like one click up is one, and one click down is zero. I don't know. Right. I'm also not a scientist, right? So obviously, people who are dealing with intergalactic space travel are going to be able to understand things that me. Yeah, but they don't actually like say that. what any of that is, you know. And the stuff they're saying is stuff that I know you understand, which is like binary and things like that so sure uh but at the same time i uh i i can come to grips with the fact that they could do some stuff that's above my head without it being right totally I unrealistic just have to accept it honestly they don't really yeah. explain that very well um yeah so he talks about how they brought they brought him here they, they he didn't no they didn't bring him here we brought us here and he matthew conaghy brings himself um so, so he says what they what uh what I did for Murph they did for me um which is really interesting I think because it kind of he gives Murph a peek behind the curtain a glimpse into the future you know she, he shows her this information that you know she uses to further her research and eventually discover the secret of gravity and make those cool space stations um but he also gets a glimpse of the future, right? He gets to see what humanity will eventually become. This being able to control three-dimensional space and create like five-dimensional tesseracts and things like that. Yeah. Um, which I think is really cool. 
Um, and yeah, I think it, like it compounds on itself, right? Like this information is filtered down, filters first to the robot, then through Matt McConaughey, then through Murph, then to the rest of humanity. Um, and it all cycles back around because eventually those actions come directly back to um, our future when we have to save ourselves from our past. Which I, I also like because uh, Murph talks about that at some point where she's like, you've been trying to like, uh, you know, solve this whole equation with time as a constant, but you're it's like trying to prove itself but you you like time isn't constant and that that like kind of because it's like how would mcconaughey send a message to himself from the future if he's like in the past like the whole reason he's even able to send the messages back is because he received the messages in the first place but that makes sense once we understand that time isn't linear Right, and when right. he can trans, when he once he's in this new dimension, he's able to influence things that have already happened. Because right. when you understand the new, like this, opens up a whole new uh, possibility for influencing time because it's not uh, constant, it's not linear, which I, I think was cool. It's a, yes, a, very, another really interesting uh, concept that this movie yeah, explores. High, very high concept, and I think that's really interesting too. There is this kind of idea that time is a human perception and that like time doesn't really exist. It's like a construct um, and like our language and the way we consume media and like the way we understand the world, like through cause and effect is all kind of a, an illusion. It just helps us further like our survival, but isn't actually how the world or the universe really works. Um, and yeah, if you could transcend that, like, like Dr. Brandt says, when, if you could see the fourth dimension as valleys and mountains, right? You could, the past is a valley you can climb into a mountain is a valley yeah. you can cl- is a mountain you can climb up the past the future is a mountain you can climb up i don't know what i'm saying right no i i the, yeah where they said that the, um, maybe the, like, the past is a canyon and that, the future is a mountain and it's right you start to see that they don't that these things aren't the same like cause and effect don't really matter that much um and yeah if you if you want to talk about just how if you want to go a little bit further with this um there's a, there's a really cool demonstration of the, like what the fourth and fifth dimension means um, by Randall Monroe, the guy who did X, does XKCD uh, comics mm-hmm. and yes. the, wrote the book What If and, and the, that blog. Um, he has a really cool demonstration of dimensions in the magazine. Um, he, saw, he says that like, you can make the argument that humans are fourth dimensional creatures. We exist in four dimensions because even though we live in a three-dimensional space, because of our memories and our ability to perceive or predict future events, we exist in four dimensions. We can't really affect things in the past or the future without being in that moment, but we can perceive those things and we can make steps to do things like that. Yeah. So in a way, like movies, or let's start at the beginning, right? Like you got, um, like a comic strip is two-dimensional and it, uses the diff- different panels to show time progressing right um but a movie is three-dimensional because it's using pictures really quickly to show things happening over time so with that extra element of time you suddenly get you know a um you get a third a dimension yeah right and so like technically reality like we live in four dimensions because we live in a three-dimensional space uh, you know imagine me uh, stirring stuff around in three dimensions 
right yes, now. Yes, um, I'm imagining and, it. <laughs> thank you. And um, but and our movies also reflect that, but in one dimension lower because um, they also are affected by time. So right. I think it's really interesting. Um, and I really like that interpretation. Um, and it, and to say that something is fifth dimensional implies that we can uh, go back in time and change things in the past in a way. Like we can travel through the fourth and fifth dimensions as easily as we travel through the first, second, and third. Anyway. Definitely a conceptual uh, movie here. Very conceptual. Um, one of the, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the writer of this movie, Jonathan Nolan, um, who is Christopher Nolan's uh, brother. Um, he also wrote Memento, which is one of my favorite movies. Another I love Memento. Um, picture. Uh, he also wrote that uh, wrote for the show or created the show Person of Interest and Westworld. He and his wife are the creators of Westworld and write and direct many of his episodes. Great television series, right there. Very, wait, very so famous. wait, did he write the original Westworld or he wrote the show, the HBO yeah, he wrote, show? He, he wrote the show. The original okay. Westworld book was written by Michael Crichton, and then it was adapted by someone else. A movie right. in the 1970s right and i understand the 70s one is uh pretty drastically different from the I new know, hbo seen, but uh, um yeah maybe but okay yeah actually i don't know i just that's just what i've heard youtube people talk about but uh wow i actually did not know that jonathan nolan had written so much stuff what a talented brotherhood they have oh yeah definitely there. and like it, apparently he, uh jonathan nolan and kip thorne the the um you know the physicist uh -huh. They had been friends, or they've been talking for like ten years about a movie like this, about this script, and they finally got Christopher Nolan to um, to direct it. Um, and yeah, it went through many iterations and everything, but like it was always supposed to be rooted in this idea of pure science, um, which I think they carried through really well. Anyway, anything else we should talk about, Ben? Uh, I mean, I guess let's wrap it up, right? As far as the the movie goes. He how does he make it back? They find him in space. Yeah, so I guess I just spit him back out where the wormhole was. That's what it seems to. This he's around Saturn again. And they. So, yeah, when? <laughs> um, when he enters the black hole, because as they're entering the black hole, he and Brand talk about how much time is passing, um, and that they're like aging hundreds of years, uh, which is what happens because. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The math in this... Let's do a little bit of math. So they do three years in space to get to Saturn. Yeah. Then 20 years... 23 years passes while they're on um, on Miller's planet. So okay. that's 26 years. And yep. then they age... And then Murph is a to is 124 years old, I think. Okay. So it's like... 90, 90 years 80 to 90 years. 90 years that they spend... Um, that he spends or that he wastes going into the black hole and then they spit him out when that happens i assume so, so. it's 116 years more or less in the future yeah so it spits him out but who rescues him who picks him up that's um yeah the, the people that are on the way to the, to the new planet so based on all this the information he has sent back to murph she's able to create this space station that's able to get them to the black hole well, not just that. She's able to revolutionize physics, and they are able to control gravity. And yeah, they created that spaceship. Um, and they also—I I assume that's like just one of—they do say that, like they say she was on a different one. Yes. So it's just one of a large fleet of people carrying objects that are going to the, to the wormhole and then to that uh, Edmunds planet. 
Edmund's planet because that's where Anne Hathaway is building the new society. The, the right, new which you do see at the end. Humans, yes. Um, which is, uh, I guess, kind of a happy ending. Uh, McConaughey gets to be young and, like, t- not that much time has passed for him. No. Uh, this guy, it's all, I mean, it, it basically, not at the rate that we see it as the human audience or, like, right. the, the, the theater audience, but pretty close. It's it's yes. kind of j- jarring how much time really has gone by, or the perception that the time has gone by. But right. again, I mean, and like that, that's why I, I like the ending is a little weird, but I do like it where like Murph tells him to go, um, because like he doesn't belong there anymore. You know, like yeah, he's missed everything, and like he has all these family members that have yeah, never met never, him. Never met him. Yeah, like he, yeah, and it, like he's this incidental person. You know, like he may have saved everyone but like he's no longer part of this like society he's no longer part of this this world he's in the history books already exactly and so he um yeah it it makes sense for him to just kind of go off and try and find brand again just because it's um you know it's not his place anymore he doesn't belong there yeah i really like i really did think it was powerful like he opens the door slowly and all these people look back at him and they're all his descendants but uh, the only yeah. one he even knows is Murph, who's, who's extremely old. old. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. And imagine what that's like for her, right? Like, seeing your dad the same way that he was when Ugh. he left. Like, that's got to be, I mean, that's pretty trippy. But it's also, like, pretty cathartic, right? Like, he actually did come back. More or less, yeah. Um, not aged a day. Yeah, just, yeah. It's it, it, I, I do like it. It's kind of happy ending, too. I think... Basically yes, it is, it is hopeful. Um, which, yeah, I, I think this movie definitely kind of um, adheres to this um, grand goal of a galactic human civilization um, that I very much am in favor of. Um, you know, I think like that's that should be all of our goals. A goal as a species. I don't know what my goal for my life should be, but the goal for the species is a galactic human civilization. And um, the Republic. Any anything that we do to further that, whether that's th- saying that it's so cool through art, or you know, Elon Musk sending rockets to space, like anything like that, is uh, on our way to um, our destiny. I think. So, so that, okay, so that kind of goes back to where we started this conversation, which was like, what is is are we bacteria? Are we a virus? Are we <laughs> right. explorers or are we caretakers? Uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I like to agree with the message of this movie that we truly are. We're explorers. We're meant to go out and uh, fulfill our destiny as humans and become this intergalactic yeah. republic or uh, <laughs> empire. Empire, maybe, yeah, depending on which way you go. Uh, yes, that would be. I mean, I don't know. I think that'd be cool. It's just like uh, spread out so that like no environmental catastrophe. Not like. Nothing could ever wipe out the human race because there's just so much of us all over the place. Um, you know, a society of hundreds of worlds. But, um, but yeah. Anyway. Overall, um, uh, I, I think I again I always feel like this after we have these discussions on them. But I I think I I think there was a lot to uh, gain from this movie. I, I really I did enjoy it, and I, I think I enjoy it now more than I that I understand it a little bit more and that I've come to grips that there's parts of it that I'm not supposed to like understand per se. Sure. Uh because yeah, I did I get Go ahead. 
well, I got really hung up on not, I was like, he's knocking these books over, but what is he really doing? Like, I was like, how is this, how is yeah, how does this? this work? Yeah, I, I know. It's, all it's this kinda, vital information that is. It is shaky, especially since like, they spend so much time with all these details and like the science and everything. So yeah. Um, to kind of abandon that at that point. I, it kind of makes sense because that is the part where they stop caring so much about science and they start caring more about the art. But yeah. still, it's, um, it is a little jarring and disrupting. But yeah, I, honestly, I feel like this this movie is like made for me because it's all these things that I really like, like space and physics and black holes and dimensions. Christopher Nolan, um, star-studded cast. Yes, too. I yeah, I I really uh, do think like th- th- this is a movie that was, I don't know that it was made specifically for for Joey. But <laughs> I, I don't know. It's not it's not one of my favorites. It's not my favorite Christopher Nolan movie either. Um, I think it is, I think it does suffer from this like conceptual, like philosophical, like undertones. And I think it's like, it should be commended for a lot of reasons because it does say a lot of things that are really unique and it's a totally, you know, original story. Um, and the, the visuals are just absolutely stunning. Um, like I have a lot more good things to say about this movie than I have bad, but yeah. just kind of the overall feeling of it is it's just like, I don't know. I don't, maybe it's before it's time. I think, um, it just doesn't fit in with other movies around now and it doesn't the message it's going it's really noble but something that we're not ready to receive i i can agree with that i i feel like i want to like this movie more but uh there, there's just parts of it that i guess just maybe aren't for me specifically i sure. uh especially the beginning part i uh i think it's an interesting depiction of what the future could be like uh, but, I, but it's really movie, cool when it goes to space. That's yeah, yeah, no, and yeah, and it is. It's undeniably cool, and uh, especially hearing that a lot of that stuff is very realistic is also really satisfying. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, it's a part of the movie where it gets more conceptual. Uh, sometimes loses me a little bit. Uh, but overall, I think a great film. And I don't want to glaze over the fact that it is a unique idea, unique story that it was a risk right not everybody is going to watch this movie and think amazing even though the movie i think on the whole is well received it's not uh, a slam dunk as far as like every audience is going to love this and want to see this in multiple iterations right it's not like a cultural force you know it's just not and um it does have a lot of stuff to say but i don't think it says it in the way that's like super affecting um you know it, it changed my perception on a few things i guess like i like the idea of gravity and love being connected or being like powerful forces um but i don't think everyone's gonna get that message yeah i agree i i like the idea that love is transcendent uh uh, beyond time and space but i don't know if this movie really drives that point home for me specifically um yeah but i i I like the idea and i think it's worth exploring further um but yeah on on the whole I enjoyed it, and I, I think Thumbs if you haven't, you? yeah, sure. I, I don't know about a, a rating scale uh, <laughs> of exa- exactly what I'd give it because I don't know if it's easy to quantify like that. But I think it's sure. a movie that, at the very least, is worth watching if you are interested in space travel or the idea of relativity at all. Uh, it's yes. worth exploring. Very uh, like accessible hard science fiction movie. Um, okay, so we're at a pretty uh, good time here, I think. Yeah, I think we've um, talked a lot about this. I think I have one more fact to end on. Okay. Um, this was uh, the longest IMAX movie ever by 13 seconds. Wow. Um, and the it was shot on IMAX, um, and it had to be 
put on a 72-inch diameter platter, like the film roll had to be. Oh. It's like six feet of just pure IMAX film. It was 600 pounds, and they had to use a forklift to move it around. What? (laughs) They looked like they had to change the way they rolled film for IMAX when they shot Avatar, and then Christopher Nolan said, no, it needs to be even longer. So they had to change (laughs) it again. So, like, yeah, they were limited by the physical, like, platter uh, for this movie. Um, If only they had a way to, uh, you know, distort gravity to make that a little easier to (laughs) yes but awesome that's a great place to end it well joey thank you for joining me again discussing these movies until next time